through 3. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like spring rains that water the earth. So uh, let me ask, what is it that defines your life? What is it that makes you you, that shapes your character, influences all of your decisions, either consciously or subconsciously? It could be an event, an experience, a relationship. Any or all of these things could either be positive or negative, but they all have an influence upon us. It's no surprise to us because we live in a world filled with wounded people. Uh, Some are wounded outwardly, and it's obviously that they've been wounded. But many have wounds that are hidden from view, but continue to shape thinking and responses anyway. Sadly, even in the church, there are many who are living out of an inward woundedness. So let me uh, share a few of these things with you. There are some, um, maybe some of the more obvious ones, that wrestle with illnesses and diseases. There are those who have been ill for a long, long time. And because of that, their illnesses begins to define who they are. Like the paralyzed man by the pool of Bethsaida. He had been paralyzed for... 38 years. And so because he'd been paralyzed that long, 38 years, a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Now that's a good question to somebody who's been ill for 38 years. Uh, We would think, well, isn't it obvious that the guy wants to get well? Well, not if the illness has defined who he is. If he can get up and walk, uh, what is his identity? And so the thing is that because of the grace and mercy of Christ, our diseases, our illnesses do not have to define who we are. There are other people who suffer equally long, but have an inner peace and a strength that the illness cannot touch. And that's a very beautiful thing. Um, a very powerful thing. Some have wounded spirits. That's a little more difficult to heal. These wounded spirits refuse to be healed. It's a hurt that's at such a deep inner level that no healing seems possible. Proverbs talks about it in Proverbs 18, 14. talks about a wounded spirit or sometimes it's translated a crushed spirit. There's a brokenness deep within. Unfortunately, sometimes um, this has been caused by the church. And so, for these people, wounded spirits, their lives are identified by their woundedness, and they carry it everywhere, and they wear it like a garment. Some are grieved beyond comfort, and their their lives are characterized by this sense of loss, and sometimes of injustice. And sometimes these can lead to anger against God and feelings of isolation and aloneness. 
Remember in the Gospel of Matthew, at the time of the birth of Christ, when uh, Herod sent out the um, soldiers to kill all the little boy babies, two-year-old and under, in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. And Matthew quotes uh, Luke 30, uh, Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31, talking about Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they owe no more. Um, Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph had two sons who comprised two of the main tribes of Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh. They were the dominant tribes in the northern kingdom of Israel. And in 721 B.C., they got wiped out by the Assyrians and dropped out of history, never to be found to this day. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel vanished from history. Uh, they are no more. Her surviving son, Benjamin, uh, was born at Bethlehem, and in that process, Rachel herself dies. And it's in Bethlehem that the boy babies, two years old and under, have been killed. And so Matthew makes the application. Her children, there are no more. And this is a weeping, control, uh, refusing to be comforted. Jacob, we can think about in Genesis 37, when uh, Joseph's brothers came back and lied to their father and told him that Joseph had been killed by a lion, presented the, the torn robes with the blood on it. And Jacob went into mourning and he refused to be comforted. It's a grief, a hurt that's deep inside. But the good news is that we don't have to live among the tombs anymore because of Jesus Christ. Some have been victimized by other people's sins through no fault of their own. And their own victimization influences and identifies who they are. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 talks about some people that are like this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1, Again I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. So you've got people like that. Jesus understands that. Um, he understands both their sense of guilt and shame and injustice that's being done. Psalm 69 verse 20 is a psalm of David. It's a, one of the psalms that um, describes almost as an eyewitness, although it was 700 years before or David's a thousand years before. It's almost like he was an eyewitness at the crucifixion. So in Psalm 69, verse 20, we can back up. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. 
And that was the experience of Jesus. He, was, he understands what it's like to be the victim of other people's sins. He took yours, he took mine, along with everybody else's. Punished for something he had not done. Some are wounded by their own sense of guilt and shame. Sometimes they feel like they are under the just wrath of God. And some of them are. In Jeremiah chapter 30, Jeremiah lived during the, the destruction and the fall of the southern kingdom of Judah. He lived through it all and eventually was killed by his own people. Speaking uh, on behalf of his people, this is what he says. This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. This is God telling Jerusalem. Your wound is incurable. Your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause. No remedy for your soul, sore. No healing for you. All your allies have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. I have struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel because your guilt is so great and your sins so many. Why do you cry over your wound, your pain that has no cure? Because of your great guilt, many sins, I have done these things to you. So for these people, they're getting the just results, the consequences of their own actions. Uh, and there are consequences to all of our actions, either positive or negative, aren't there? So they are reaping what they sowed, basically. And God's judgment, a righteous wrath from God, is on them. They've had opportunities to repent, and they haven't done so. They've been called to come back to God, and they've refused to do so. And when we reject the grace and mercy of God, then we're left with the judgment and the wrath of God. Because that's all there is. So each one of the people that we've talked about today, each in their own way feels like their wound is incurable. And their, their identity is so closely bound up with these wounds, they cannot conceive of life without them. They cannot separate who they are from these strong, powerful wounds that have been such a dominant influence in their lives for so long. Do you know people like that? I know people like that. We see them every day. Uh, again, some are outward and we can see it. Others, it's a weight, a weight, a burden that they carry deep within their own hearts. And they can never get away from it. Because it's inside. So the book of Lamentations, also written by Jeremiah, talks about the feelings of despair that... Uh, he experienced on behalf of his country. He said, This is why I weep, and my tears overflow, my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me, no one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob and his neighbors that his neighbors become his foes. 
Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them all. People have heard my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress. They rejoice at what they have done. And so that's the, the despair that's there. In Jeremiah, they asked the question. He asked it in Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 7. And it's a question that, it's a good question. That's in verse 19, sorry. So he's asking God, Have you rejected Judah completely? Do you despise Zion? Why have you afflicted us so that we cannot be healed? We hoped for peace, but no good has come. For a time of healing, but there is only terror. And so he goes on to acknowledge their guilt. But in chapter 30 that we had just read, talking about it was their sins were incurable and beyond healing, God never leaves it at that. And if we are willing to receive it, God's judgment is never the final word. There's no judgment without a promise, without hope, uh, without an offer of reconciliation. Later on in chapter 30 of Jeremiah, where he's just been talking about their wound being incurable and beyond healing, God says, But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah offers this prayer in chapter 17, verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. In Exodus 15, 26, God tells the people of Israel, I am the Lord who heals you. And in Psalm 147, verse 3, says that He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And so, of all the wounded people that we have in the world today, those wounds that we think are beyond healing are not beyond the hand of God, not beyond the mercy and grace of the Lord who sees us and knows us, who comforts us in our sorrow and our suffering. In Acts chapter 10... Part of Peter's conversation with the people at Cornelius' house, a man who he should have hated because Peter belonged to the oppressed group and Cornelius belonged to the oppressor group. And Peter was in Cornelius' house proclaiming the love of Christ for Cornelius. And it was a revelation for um, for Peter as much as it was for Cornelius, because this would never have entered Peter's mind, but it was in the heart of God. And so he says, Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. 
and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. It's my body. I can do with it what I want. No, you can't. No, you can't. You've been bought with a price. The death, the suffering of Jesus Christ. You don't belong to yourself anymore. Once you come to him, ask him into your heart, you become his. Bought. Sins atoned for. Wounds healed. In the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus, speaking about himself in chapter 20, says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom is the same word, same root word, that we get the word redeemed. Ransom is a purchase price. Redeemed means that you have bought or exchanged something, and ownership has been transferred. This is how he did it. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 42, Jesus is on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been mocked, spit on, laughed at, challenged, mocked as he's laying there dying an agonizing death. The people, his tormentors are not finished yet. They want him dead. They want him separated, cut off from God. And their hatred and the power that they have is overwhelming. And Jesus is on the cross dying. And they're mocking. And they come to Jesus and they say, verse 42 of chapter 27. These are the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. This is the religious leaders of the day. This is what they said. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. That was mocking, derision. That's part of the scorn that broke his heart and left him helpless. But it was a true statement, wasn't it? Wasn't it? He saved others, he cannot save himself because his life, his death, his suffering, that is the ransom. That is the redemption price for your sins and mine. That's the price he paid so that our wounds, whatever they are, however deep they are, whatever the cause, can be healed. He saved others. That's why he could not save himself. He did that for you and for me. And what he offers us today is healing and forgiveness, cleansing and wholeness. Isaiah saw this 750 years early. These familiar passages from Isaiah 53. 
Surely he took up, he carried our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. He was, wasn't he? Smitten by him and afflicted. It's going to tell you later on in this um, same chapter, verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. God did that to his son in place of you and in place of me. So we thought he was stricken by God, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and here it is, by his wounds, our wounds are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his or her own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when Jesus comes to us, risen from the dead, to show his power over death and hell, over the wounds and the sin that causes them, he comes to us and he reaches out to us with scars on his hands so that your scars and mine can be healed. And so we come to a wounded healer and it's through his woundedness that we are made whole. So Jesus talks to us and he says one of the reasons that he's dying is not only to forgive us and cleanse us from our sin, that's the negative part, but the positive part is so that we might enter into a new relationship with God, that we might know him and who he is and there can be an impartation, imparting of his life into us, his spirit into our broken spirit, his wholeness in place of our woundedness, his righteousness in place of our sinfulness and guilt and shame. And so Jesus says, that's the taking away. But there's also a giving, an infilling, an imparting. Uh, death has, sw uh, has been swallowed up by life. And so Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the bondage of sin and death. Set us free. And so he reaches down and he tells us that one of the reasons that he died and rose again was so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell within us, within your heart, within mine, within your body and mine. We've been bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. And because he's redeemed us, he fills us with his Holy Spirit, spirit of life. He creates the life of Christ in us, changing the desires of our heart, changing the attitudes, taking away the prejudices, giving us his heart and his mind. He does that by the gift of his Holy Spirit. And he describes the Holy Spirit over and over and over again as the comforter, the comforter, the comforter. He lifts those burdens, the weight and the wounds and the damage that it's done. He takes them upon himself and he says to you and to me, 
Be free. Be free to discover who you are without this weight on you anymore. These wounds do not define who you are. God has defined who we are, created in the image and likeness of God. We are his children. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful today for the offer of wholeness that you give to us. Wounds that are inflicted by others or by ourselves, or by a sinful world. Wounds that we don't understand, but we bear the, the wounds, the hurt, the weight, the guilt, the shame. By your grace, you've come to lift those off of us. So you ask us the same question that you asked the paralyzed man that had been paralyzed for 38 years. Maybe one of the most important questions that we ever answer. Do you want to get well? At the foot of the cross, we can lay those burdens down and take up the life that you offer us in Jesus' name. Amen.